0: Clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Sheila. This week, we're here to discuss the fifth episode of CBS All Access' The Stand. This one has a mysterious name who no one can decide on. It's called... <laughs>
1: Fear and Loathing in New Vegas.
0: New Vegas. So they kind of stole a name. We have the pleasure of being joined by an old friend of mine, Inez Vivar Dixon. She and I have been chatting about TV since TV was invented, pretty much. And uh, I asked her if she would join us. She jumped at the opportunity, I'll, I'll, I'll admit.
2: Absolutely. Happy to be here.
0: I'm glad. I'm glad for that. Before you know it, we will sucker you in to, I mean, ask you to join more podcast than you could possibly imagine
1: that's exactly how I got my start know, <laughs> so you better watch out <laughs> well I watched too much TV <laughs> I was asked to do one love it or leave it in March and it's now January <laughs> And, I'm, and I'm, this is my second recording of the day. So
0: oh, wow.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? We've got that extra stay-at-home order here in California. So this is just going to help me pass the time. So thank you for having me.
1: This is a fabulous way to pass some of that time because you're watching TV anyway. So why not, you know, get on <laughs> your soapbox not? and tell people what they should or should not watch and why?
0: Actually, yeah, it's, it's great. And I'm glad that you're here. Um, as I was saying about this episode... This one and the next one is directed by Chris Fisher, who Sheila and I had the opportunity to interview a couple of weeks ago. We intended on including that interview with an earlier podcast, but we actually had so many spoilers <laughs> about his episodes <laughs> that we decided we can't expose the viewers to all that stuff just yet. And so we're going to wait until the end of next week's episode to include that, Then um, you'll find so many details about what went in to making the show what went into making it pre-covid post-covid how they turned little old vancouver british columbia into new vegas and other little details like that what do you anything stick out to you um sheila that you want to tantalize the listeners with
1: just the fact that he was so excited to share the the work that he'd done. You know, he told us that he's steeped in the horror and the thriller genre. I've been watching these just one at a time because I don't want to cross the streams in terms of like revealing anything that comes in a future episode. So I have waited until now to watch this episode. The enthusiasm that he brought to it, I was just like looking forward to this episode so much and it did not disappoint. So he created this wonderful buildup for the episodes that he's directed and just the details that he shared just is such great insight into the process. I'm just excited for it.
0: This one was written by Jill Kill, who wrote The Last Couple, and yeah. uh, Nate Lee, who... She's worked with in the past, and we've seen credited here before, so it's a steady writers' room, you know, kind of thing. Owen is not on this one, but I'm sure he contributed. That's how writers' rooms normally work. Right. <laughs> one person gets the credit, but they all contributed. Uh, just before this episode, um, and be, and after I watched it, I wrote an email to Chris Fisher, the director, and asked him, could he have done anything like New Vegas now with the current Covid protocols. Um, this may be the least interesting question ever, ever but I thought it was interesting because I
1: think it's insanely interesting <laughs> given what we've seen this episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got very close. Um, yeah, he said, "No way we could have done Vegas now. It's a maximum ten performer rule, extras included. So we lucked out." Wow. Ah, that would have put a, an entirely different spin on yeah. on New Vegas. Could you... <laughs> no,
1: that wouldn't have worked. They would have had to like splice in different scenes in order to make that work. It just wouldn't have felt authentic the way that it did. You
2: know, there's several
1: other shows that are
2: out that are, you know, being recorded within the COVID environment. You can very clearly see the awkwardness on some scenes that are meant to be intimate. They're kind of just all really kind of far apart. And you're like, it just kind of feels like, you know, you're a married couple, but you now no longer like, are ever going to be seen like hugging or kissing each other or whatever anymore. It and those kind of scenes so um i was curious about how they did that and since i'm not hearsed in in like the settings like the technical aspects of these things like you are that to me is like really kind of like shocked kind of just thinking in my head how they could have done that had it been the constraints that we're under now
0: if if they're gonna do it they have to do it with uh, visual effects but then all of a sudden your budget goes away because you've spent it all on like basically extras <laughs> and so so then it's worthwhile to find reasons not to do it but then all of a sudden you can't have a gladiatorial pit surrounded by an orgy
2: um, <laughs> yeah a lot of CGI dongs out there would be very interesting <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and what an episode for Inez to cut your teeth on, like orgies <laughs> and bloodbaths, and
2: it captured how I like the chaos and and craziness in the books. And I was like, it was just, it was weirdly a treat
1: <laughs> to see yeah. out of it. I know we have to be careful because we're like, oh, it's great to see like orgies and pits of you know gladiator blood, buckets of blood, but no, I'm completely <laughs> normal. I swear.
0: Well, that element that, we're, that I think we're getting to is something that a lot of the viewers of the first three or four episodes have complained about, particularly relating to the time-jumping storytelling technique, where if we've already shown that these people survive to Boulder in five months, but then we start showing their journey, then there's a lot of tension taken out of that journey because we know they make it <laughs> but I would contend that this episode if you didn't feel a quite a bit of tension between um you know the Harold stuff the Larry stuff the Dana stuff um if you didn't know it was coming anyway I would I would contend that that the, that all the tension that was supposed to be there was there and and it was like they just turned the dial up on this one what do you guys think?
2: Oh, I agree, Paul. You know, I kept trying to go into this to, you know, trying to strip away some of my biases um, as a huge fan of the book, just so that I can kind of, you know, see what's the journey like because it's told in a very different story. In the book, you have you get to hear all of their thoughts, and so that adds all that- of them. <laughs> you can hear all of their thoughts. You can hear all of their intentions, and so, uh, you know, and and then you know only their perspective. You don't really know what's going on with somebody else's character when one one. Of them is on, and I've been looking at this as a brand new journey. If I didn't know about the book, do I still feel things? So I have been purposely looking out for for those kinds of emotional tensions, and I think that they did capture it. I found myself stressed out at moments in this episode, and then I kept laughing at myself, like Inez, you already know what happens. (laughs) So I think that that's definitely a compliment to the team that put this great episode together. It was really awesome
1: so i mentioned that this was my favorite episode by far so far um it was just so dark paul i think that tension is really the right word because like i feel like it was it was so dark it was so over the top in so many of the right ways that whatever the time jumping complaints that we've heard i feel like they're gonna stop now because now we're fully in the present basically we've caught up all of the tension all of the drama up till now and it's it's this was the fastest episode too for me to watch I think it had to do with that tension and is it going to release and it didn't it just got worse <laughs> <laughs> like there, there are elements in here that are going to haunt my dreams Owen Teague's smile at the very end is going to haunt oh my, my gosh dreams.
0: oh my
2: gosh yes <laughs> uh, and too, I did yeah. I did let
1: out a little cheer when I did hear don't fear the reaper definitely
0: a callback yeah
1: yes uh just a you know a throwback to the miniseries that's where there was there was a lot of complaints at like the first episode it's like it should have opened with don't fear the reaper and i was like i feel like they're gonna save it for some time and it was just so perfect so this hit a lot of really good notes for me
0: yeah it's like the original miniseries which i know. did you watch the original miniseries in the 90s it
1: was like 94
2: no, I have not. I knew that they exist, and my husband and I had it on our list after The Wire. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. So for I'll free. I
2: definitely will check it out. Um, it's really reinvigorated. Yeah, yeah, this invigorated my excitement the book and then I told myself, oh maybe I should like read the audio books again and but that's all no just wait until later because I want to enjoy the show for like what it is but I honestly I don't mind the time hopping I did notice it right away with that they were doing it that style and at first I could see like my husband was a little bit off put by it because he's an even bigger Stephen King nerd um, than I am and uh, and, and so he, he was kind of having some emotional uh, problems about being flexible um, with that approach but <laughs> (laughs) But now that we're all kind of caught up on this journey and we feel like the the goal of feeling those emotions and feeling the tension and it's still like being very honest um, to the original storyline, even with the details, the minor, minor details that have that are different. I've been enjoying that. And I feel like the time hopping story, just especially for like fans that there's the level of fans that want it to just be exactly the same. But I, I fall in a category of fans of like, well, let me hear the story I already know, like in this new journey format. And that's exciting to me. So it's kind of like, I already know what the book's going to tell me. I already know what's going to happen to the character, but I am interested in the way that they're telling the story. It's a proven kind of formula. I think one of the first shows that Paul and I started talking about was Lost and they did the same <laughs> thing. It's this time hop um, past present future and it works on all kinds of popular shows that we all really like what's the other one that you have paul this is us this is us i love the format it's exciting it's curious and i think like even shakespeare's plays tell you what's going to happen in the beginning and you're just about the journey so i'm being flexible about it so for the audience out there who are upset about the alignment or not alignment to exactly with the book like let's just open our minds this is a fun journey this is a rad episode
0: don't fear the reaper it It was played in the original series as an accompaniment to sort of the prologue, which was the release. Yeah.
1: It opened with it.
0: Yeah. The release of the virus into the, into the wild. They played it here. And the way, you know, when you kind of think about that, the first section of the story as, you know, the introduction of everybody getting to Boulder, et cetera, it's almost like that also was the prologue. And, and so Prologues kind of get a different set of rules (laughs) compared to the rest of uh, your story. They can be told a little bit differently because in some ways there's there's an idea that prologues can be just dismissed. and, And if you just pick up the next chapter later, you should still be able to get the story.
1: We've moved into book two now. Quote, unquote, uh, yeah. like from, right. from the book. Yeah. And, you know, Inez, to your point, too, this is a 40-year-old story, like 42. If we're going to be really honest. It came <laughs> out in 78. You know, so it does need some updates. And, and Paul and I have been quick to point out some of the updates. For the most part, I'd say that we're we're pretty on board. It, it, it feels authentic to the story as well as being appropriate for the times. And Tom Cullen is one of the most standout updates for us that we're enjoying. And I love him. He's becoming rapidly my favorite character just because of how he's being portrayed in a way that is respectful. Whereas in 1978, there's words that we talked about two episodes ago where we're like, we don't we don't ascribe to these words that were very (laughs) prominent in the book. And even in the adaptation in the 90s, I'm loving where they've taken Tom. And this episode, this episode was was good for him, too, even though we didn't get a lot of screen time with him. But he's just so nuanced. And I just I'm I'm here for these updates. And there hasn't been one thing so far that you and I, Paul, have been like, "Mm, I don't know about that.
0: Yeah, not so far. While we're on the topic of Tom, let's let's move to New Vegas and talk about Dana, Tom, and the adventures in uh, Hell on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) We had discussed Dana last episode, because we just only got introduced to her last episode, as a a very uh, hard-as-nails woman, that if anyone was going to be able to make it through this mission, it was very likely going to be her. It's just, you know, when you're dealing with someone that kind of is, like, you know, it was a Satan <laughs> power level, um, then you can be tough as nails and it just doesn't matter.
1: I love the fact that in the very beginning they called her Flash Dance. I was just like, I'm of an age that I, I get that joke. So do you think that she lives up to the expectation that Fran had in her?
0: Oh, for sure. I think.
1: I
2: agree. I thought that she carried herself really confidently um, throughout all of this. She was on a a mission. She was not messing around. And then I believe, right, like all three of the individuals did not know who the other two were or that there were even other two spies going. They probably thought they were just like on their own. So the fact like even under all of that pressure, face to face with this, quote unquote, Satan kind of character, I think that she carried herself really well to the end and freaking, when <laughs> she like fucking <laughs> caused herself for the cause. And I thought she was awesome. I, I think she did the character justice.
0: She had to go into a threesome with these loathsome people. And be cool. Loathe some people. <laughs> Loathe some people.
2: Loathe yeah. some people.
0: <laughs> exactly. We had talked about a couple episodes ago when they introduced Lloyd. How every time a new character came on, I wanted to compare him to or her to the to the '90s characterization. And in that one, where Miguel Ferrer plays Lloyd, he starts out a little wild during the gas station robbery, but once he becomes the second or the right-hand man in New Vegas he really levels out and becomes a very boring guy. I was wondering if they would keep him wild and I think I got my answer. <laughs> <laughs> this in this time around do either of you or maybe Stephen as a by extension read the Dark Tower books by Stephen King?
2: I have not read them, but Steven has several times. He's actually in the middle of rereading them right now. So uh, he's been sharing um, some of his <laughs> giddiness and excitements, you know, as he's been rewatching this, just kind of how it's been tying. Yeah, it's been fun.
0: There's a moment when Lloyd mentions that he he's allowed to take the elevator all the way to the top, uh, meaning that he can go see Flag where others can't. That struck me as a possible Dark Tower reference. The two universes do intersect lightly but they do the flag character does exist in the dark tower uh, universe this concept of being able to or go to the top of quote-unquote a tower the tower is the whole point of the dark tower books is that's what the main character roland wants to be able to do he doesn't know what's going to happen when he gets there but he's sure he needs to do it when uh this character mentions that he gets to go to the top that reminded me you know it's not a apples and apples kind of comparison but the it still reminded me of that Let's talk about New Vegas. Aesthetically, you know, compare it to anything else we might have seen, or, or you know, your general thoughts. When I saw it, it reminded me of that episode of Westworld that also had a gigantic orgy.
2: <laughs> I've just recently have seen Westworld thanks to this pandemic, so uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably the that's probably the only thing like of recently. But I did notice. What I really liked the stark contrast in the in the settings between. Boulder, Colorado, and then New Vegas. Uh, I like the how it's like so purposely in New Vegas, just very like neon lights, very like the feathery, just this like completely different world. And and when I go back into the scenes that we're in, like Boulder, Colorado, it's just so like basic and quaint and you know a little bit more like i guess normal <laughs> like it Just like in terms of like in d- deep comparison i just i like I like the tone is just so different like i felt like really cringy the whole time that i was following dana around in new vegas like just ickiness i felt like if i touched any any services it was going to I was gonna regret it. Like I didn't feel like I would want to sit down in that environment. Yeah,
1: especially seeing what they were doing on some of the chairs. <laughs>
2: yes, <laughs> and they definitely. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was very wild, uh, out of this world kind of thing. It just stark contrast. It almost kind of makes it like just really boring on like you know the Mother Abigail side of stuff. Since Flag likes to go in and to try to sway people in their minds to go one way and the other, they do a really good job of kind of just showcasing the shininess from the New Vegas stuff that does seem more fun that seems like no work like they get to do whatever they want and then ironically they have this job clerk in New Vegas <laughs> you know and I just loved that little detail That she, and it's just like the exact same kind of like tone and attitude that you see typically in like real world <laughs> like right. what you expect when you go into a government office and so it's just kind of seeing how they're processing Tom for what kind of job he can do in their organization I thought that was a really funny detail 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 uh on how they did that but also gives you eye at like this really fine line like i'm they don't have it's like anarchy on all levels but we're going to have structure around job placement but that was really funny (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. I've I've mentioned to to Sheila in podcasts past that I typically watch this on my phone. And as a result, I miss a lot of details. And in this case, there was a certain amount of details I was happy to miss. (laughs) (laughs) Exact ball gag placement and and stuff like that. (laughs) I can live without knowing.
1: Right. I was looking to see just to see if there was any eyes on the the, the polls that the, the guy from two episodes ago, the, the guy in the Ferrari with the stigmata wounds. I was looking to Ooh, see yeah. the polls. I was looking to see, like, if there was any, like, especially on the pan scene that they did from the Hoover Dam into Las Vegas up the Strip. Uh, I think that's the most empty I've ever seen Las Vegas. But I was looking to see if those polls. I didn't see any evidence of that. So I don't know where that plays in, if we get to see any more of that.
2: I think Dana referenced it, right? Like we're talking about like where you hang such and such people. Yes. And I, yeah, I was looking for like, I want to see what that looks like. I know it's sick. I know it's sick, but they are the <laughs> ones who like made me want to see it. Like they're the ones who set it up with like showing me that they do this to people. And just kind of one of those things like I need to really see if this is real. But, you know, I think seeing like grotesqueness of how loathsome that environment is that they created surgically, like impaled this man in his arms and like do all of this details and that it just kind of seems unbelievable when, when you're experiencing it initially. But then after I got the tour of how casually they had, you know, their gladiator pit and then all the people being entertainer in the middle of an orgy with their mountains of cocaine, like hanging out (laughs) against the walls, Uh, you know, then it's like, okay, well, maybe I don't have to see it now to believe it. Like they're this is pretty awful.
0: Yeah. The director indicated that that gladiatorial thing is like 24 hour entertainment. Like, it's it's constantly running. There's no shortage oh of bodies to throw in there. Apparently, even though you know almost everybody's dead in the world.
1: I did like the homage to like the Vegas showgirl with the uh, the MC of the night in her black feathery outfit. I like that. She looked rad. She was she also did. looking. She was a little scary.
0: That's probably not from the book. That's probably an ad. To kind it's of probably sp- an ad, I'd say. Spice yeah, spice up. New Vegas visually.
2: As horrible as the environment was, I thought that the costume work that everybody had, especially the hostess there, was so (laughs) cool. Like I said, just very different, right? Because again, going to Boulder, Colorado, they're just normal. They're just wearing normal clothes, teeth or jeans. And over there in New Vegas, they're sporting like spandex and and heels and leather and just like whatever whatever the heck they want to wear is what they're going to wear. And
1: like cocaine is an accessory on your nose. Yeah, like he did. Yeah, I was just thinking like oh my god he's got like all that
2: cocaine but i forget like they don't have to hide it there's there is no law enforcement like th- everything is fair game and that's just normal that's just their morning vitamins at this point <laughs> right.
0: Uh, That's perfect. Some, some Flintstone vitamins. A little blow. Yeah, Lloydo in his his, his uh, fashion sense, uh, very um, vinyl looking, uh, <laughs> shiny. Everything was blingy. Are we to believe that in that scene with Dana and Julie? where Lloyd says something like it's a lost cause or something like that. Are we to believe that uh, he couldn't quite br- bring things to attention, if, if you will?
1: Well, I think uh, Julie figured out the, the secret sauce to whittle away at Lloyd's um, abilities, I guess. She mentioned... <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be so... Clean there I guess Right. yeah she mentioned Randall and then he's just like I just went as soft as a pool floaty and I just <laughs> took a fit of laughter I know that's inappropriate but I'm getting the sense that Julie and him have never actually like finished the deed so because I think she's just that huh. artful and skillful in playing him
2: I'm right there with you she purposely kept throwing Flag's name out there because she figured that out she, she figured out what that button is that that will keep it from it but I did notate and it is probably because I don't remember all of the the from the book because it has been a while so I don't know right off the top of my head what's the add-in stuff and what's like originally from the book so forgive me if I sound very ignorant in this space but we're talking about Lloyd who is like grotesque as fuck like oh my god Uh, I think that they picked the perfect person to replicate all of that and like I said I just got like the full download in these past two days of who Lloyd is and Lloyd honestly was one of the most cringy characters that I hated reading about whenever I would come up to him in the book. So this actor, the, the casting for it and the choices that they went about it were amazing. But yeah, she totally was like not interested in banging this dude. And he, <laughs> for some reason, is very negatively impacted by listening to Flag, despite the Flag is like his savior. Um, so it was just kind of interesting to me that that he had such a strong, immediate reaction on something like that. She just like, Flag. Yeah, he doesn't like when I say Flag. And who knows and why this to. So opposite the effect flag. on his own flag. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm not sure. I haven't, in this show, we haven't really seen, like, the kinds of stuff that he has to do for Flag that might um, give us a reason why all of a sudden Flag is such a horrible word that it has such a immediate, like, such a strong reaction out of him. We see a love scene later on between Stu and Franny, and they're mentioning somebody who's also creepy. <laughs> Right. But but instead of it like deterring them, it's like they just help like cast it aside and like get on about their business. And Harold has so much history with Franny that big entitlement if like she wanted to do nothing because his name's on the tip of her tongue, I would understand because he's so cringy because I don't know what's going on between Lloyd and Flag. that Flag is that he is completely off put in that way.
0: um, Boner poison. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very 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 stark difference.
0: Well, do you think that perhaps, and this hasn't this is just a, a TV based question because it's not from the anything that I remember in the book, but we do know that Randall reveals himself to Nadine in this, you know, I want you to be my queen sort of way, but you gotta save that one special thing for me.
1: The antidote to the boner poison. <laughs>
0: But do you suppose that it's possible, and this may just be like my own head canon, that he does the same thing to other women such as Julie and has like a little harem of believers out there that are sure that they're, they're the next queen or duchess or whatever you want to call her. So they are kind of quote unquote saving themselves. Or do you suppose that or do you think that Julie's just a tease and this is just her way to live a, a nice lifestyle without having to do more than she wants?
1: I'm not sure about that, Harem, because Julie's afraid of flag as well. She doesn't show it as readily as Lloyd, but there's a couple of moments where she's definitely not in for flag. <laughs> when he comes on the screen she has the moment where she raises the glass but the look on her face is not contentment she's not all in where everyone else is cheering and then when they drop dana off at the elevator at flags at his penthouse lloyd and julie both kind of give her some well wishes so, you know julie says uh, you know wouldn't want to be yeah uh, and then what does lloyd say go with God like it's something like he he sends her like a well wish and it's like you yeah. know basically they're both saying good luck they're both afraid of him and you know this, this kind of leads into the question that I had about Randall obviously they don't trust Randall but they're enjoying the fruits of being high up and, and basically being good henchmen so I don't know if Julie I think Julie's just smart even though she's A horrible person. I think she's just smart in knowing how to (laughs) repel Lloyd enough that, that she entertains him enough that she stays around.
0: Ah, so she's like a professional tease.
1: Yeah, you know, like it's it's printed on her business card. Julie Laurie cock tease, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we saw the scene
0: with
2: her um, hanging out with Nick and uh, Tom. She was ready to go with them. So she was just ready to like take on the company of the first man that she found attractive that could keep her safe, and she wanted to follow him. And she Good just point. wants to be around somebody strong, keep her safe, or had a pulse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I think. It's, <laughs> right. I I think it might be keep it safe because she was very off put by Tom. Right. So that's how like yeah. she ended up not like they, she went on a shooting rampage because Nick thought Tom was more worthy of his of his company than than she was. And I would agree. Hopefully most people would agree that Tom makes better company than than Julie. I do kind of get a vibe that she's this is just kind of survival and just kind of a combination of what you both said. Survival, but also like get more out of doing less. (laughs) That's totally her style. She's just going to, she's just riding the party. Work smarter, not harder. There you go.
0: (laughs) Working, uh, unfortunately too hard. We have Dana. Now, I don't remember all the details from the book, but I do remember the moment, the idea that she was trying to give a note to Tom and he can't read, so the note didn't do anything good and how that was just one of the more heartbreaking moments of the book yeah
1: i appreciated the desperation that dana had in trying to say it was my mother's and just making that emphasis to try to get the connection for him she she was desperate she knew what was coming
0: the look on her face was like the clock is ticking um (laughs) it's almost midnight for right right for cinderella right yeah (laughs) This is our first big moment leading up to, though, with Randall. There there was this old movie. It's old only because I'm old, but it's not that old. It's called Fear. It came out in, I think, 94, 95, something like that. It starred Mark Wahlberg. Oh, yeah, I remember that movie. Remember that movie? Uh, Alyssa Milano's in it. Lots of recognizable faces are in it. And I don't know if you recall the scene when they're trying to get in the house. At the very end. Yes. Basically, the character that Mark Wahlberg's been playing has been able to maintain and hide the fact that he's a psycho pretty well. But... Uh, there's a second where he goes open the door and he just screams the door, order his face yeah. just distorts
1: yeah like the mask came off
0: <laughs> yes exactly um, it's not that fear is a classic movie or anything like that, but <laughs> but that moment of the mask coming off is what I think we saw today with Randall and who's the third that that moment yes. uh, and his jelly bean eyes <laughs> We, we've been having different names for the glowy black
1: stone stone
0: thing. things. Yeah. Uh, I go with jelly bean. I
1: don't know. It's like a radioactive opal to me. I don't
0: know.
1: <laughs> I put some thought into it. <laughs> now I'm going to have to come up with mine. Yeah. yeah, it has like the veins like an opal has and it's always multicolored. So I was like a radioactive opal. That's nice. Yeah. Very poetic, I thought.
0: <laughs> who would want a jelly bean that looks like that?
1: Might give me a tummy ache. <laughs>
0: This is our first big moment with Randall. Is he scary enough? Does he give you what you need? Or did you were you hoping, based on either your you know book reading or miniseries experience, something else? Let's start with Inez.
2: I think that they captured Randall's power really well. You know, it was not that long ago that he was able to take over the mind and intentions of that gentleman. What was it? It was in episode three or four that got the impalement on his arms and was held up. You know, he he's not even in the same region in the country as him. We got one Boulder, Colorado and then in Las Vegas and somehow he's managed to have him survive his journey all the way, like while injured and bleeding to death, survive his his journey to, to give that message and then that's when... It, you know, ends up passing uh, after that very dramatic display of power in the room. The eyes glazing over, black. The crows killing themselves, running into the the windows, and then he delivers his message, and then he expires. Like that, to me, is like terrifying that he can do that. And and then we, I think that this episode really made a point to focus on the fact that he can enter your mind and know your intentions. You know, learning that makes me feel all of like the sadness and worry that Abigail might've been like why she was really concerned and and why she was expressing her disappointment with Nick about the current situation. Because she she understands that the same kind of power that that Randall has, if she's on the opposite end experiencing it too, and and that fear that she has, especially since she can kind of like see so much more than the rest of everybody else, and then she had all of that fear. If she, if Mother Abigail is scared of flag, I'm scared of flag. <laughs> so, and then the actor that they've selected for him is do you know I love this actor, and and I think that the way that they've set him up and portrayed him is that. Uh, menacing charisma that I felt in the books.
0: Glad you said charisma. That's a word we've been overusing when when it comes to Alexander Skarsgård, the actor that that plays Flag.
2: Oh, he's doing fantastic.
1: (laughs) The fact that he's had so little screen time has made any time that we've seen him or heard his voice, and I think that you brought that out very perfectly that he was able to possess this man from hundreds of miles away and speak through him and control the forces around the room so the fact that now we get some one-on-one screen time with him we get some dialogue from him we see how he's influencing the masses within the orgy debauchery hotel lobby gladiator pit all of that all of that together the fact that he can whip the crowd up the level of fear that dana has just from being in the presence of him and being whipped into this frenzy by everybody else and then her her conversation with him he is a very scary dude the way that he's been portrayed here and i think the fact that they've given us five episodes and now we finally get some screen time with him he is terrifying and the fact that he's trying to get Dana to to share the name, knowing that she knows it, but she's whatever, she's able to withstand the, the penetrations into her mind that he's trying to make uh, with the glowy opal, the radioactive opals. Th- this has been a very skillful way to bring him about. I did not find, this is no slight on the actor Jamie Sheridan, from the miniseries, I did not find him terrifying at all. So this has been really refreshing for me. Um, I, I appreciate, like, we only saw him for just moments with Lloyd. I think it was like in episode two. Mm-hmm. And it was just basically to bust him out of jail. Now to sort of see how he's ruling over the dominion that he's created how everyone just seems to be okay now that just the trains are running on time just to use that sort of euphemism that they can look the other way that this is essentially a dictatorship it's rule according to flag and if you don't listen you end up in a gladiator pit i'm just really enjoying how they've drawn out flag and alexander skarsgård as flag is there's not a more perfect person on the planet and, and challenge me <laughs> prove me wrong <laughs> I'm with you team Sheila on that
2: one. Team yeah. team Alexander. Team because, Alexander. Oh God, he he is uh his physical form is is the tall, big, strong kind of presence that I imagine randall flag to have and he's such a you know giant man in real life he's so tall he hovers over you you feel like he's already shadowing you in in all of the kinds of scenes that they how they shoot him you know that whole family right all yeah. of him and his brothers are just so tall and and so good at portraying that kind of thing and and then you add that attitude and the personality that he has like he's so dangerous and then and, and he it kind of reminds me of the confidence of who's that guy from Walking Dead with Lucille? Negan. Oh my gosh. Yes, Negan. Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed that his name escaped me. But it was just kind of like the confidence that he knows that he's the shit. Um, and, <laughs> and he knows that like if you disagree with his proposal, you're not going to get some good chances of surviving. And that one scene in particular that shocked me was when he is seeing and rallying up the crowd in the orgy room and his audio still going for everybody but Dana and he's looking at her straight in the eye only to her and nobody else can see that. And I can imagine at that moment, my stomach sank for her and I felt it. I felt like, Oh fuck. Like, like he, (laughs) like he's straight up just looking at me from like a projector screen. Like how the (laughs) fuck is this happening?
0: Is that jumbotron looking at me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But he's talking, but yet he's not moving his mouth.
0: I just looked him up six, four and a half. So Jesus. That's not wow. movie tricks. That's a big guy. He's Swedish, and he was. Uh, Sweden is one of those uh, European countries that requires their citizens to do uh, military service. So he was. Oh, I the... thought
1: you were going to say, be gorgeous. Well, <laughs> that, too. Uh,
0: Sweden does seem to have some pretty strict <laughs> rules on that, too. But, Sorry, I digress. But yeah, he was in the Swedish Navy. That's where he did his service. If you've seen any of his work, it just. Sheila and I have been mentioning. You know this isn't going to matter for you very much Inez but hopefully it does. Uh in in the original series uh, an actress named Molly Ringwald played Franny and she had played every 80s movie it girl that there was. Yeah and so Super when you're familiar you, with her when you yeah okay so when you bring her into a, a show she she brings just some baggage you know with her previous roles and the same might be happening for alexander here is that he has played people that gleefully enjoy inflicting pain on on, on others and what i understand
1: subjects really
0: yeah well various levels of willing like have you seen big little eyes
2: oh yes oh my gosh
0: he was not a very nice guy and he was menacing
2: in that one uh, with not as with with i think a lot smaller opportunities to present that tension he's a fantastic actor
0: he is he is uh and he's and he's humble i don't know if you saw him when he won uh the uh what was it a golden globe or something for big little eyes and he's just like I, you know i can't believe you guys uh gave the award to a guy that used to be a vampire on, <laughs> on TV. <laughs>
1: that's actually kind of great that he has that humility
0: yeah a famous family you know, if you guys don't pay attention, uh, his brother is it Pennywise, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a <laughs> steeped in Stephen Kingdom in the, yes, in the scars guard
1: and
2: just
0: yeah. all things nefarious
2: Think There's a, another one was um, Castle Rock. Is it Castle Rock? Castle Black. B- I can't remember. B- uh, Bill Rock.
0: Bill was also in Castle Rock. Yeah. Before yeah. he got it, he was in Castle Rock, even though Castle Rock came out after it. Does that makes sense. So oh, okay.
2: he did all did that work know. with,
0: without knowing that he was also going to be another Stephen King dude.
1: that he was going to be it. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's yeah. really cool.
0: Yeah, that's kind of neat. I think we've done covered Dana and stuff in in New Vegas. Is there anything else you want to mention about about New Vegas?
1: I'm just worried for Tom. That's all. I just think of all the three spies that went in that Tom's story was the least crackable. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I like the update. This is another one of those updates on Tom that I'm just like people on the Facebook group. I'm like, just wait, just wait one more episode. The fact that they abandoned like the hypnosis crap from the book. Oh, yeah where they were trying to hypnotize him so that this way he only remembered one story they just played to the strength of you know he's good with repetition and recitation so just this actor Brad William Henke I just I applaud you (laughs) It, it gives, uh, it gives just, the
0: character more credit than it, d- being it like does. We, need, we need to reprogram your brain. In order, <laughs> in right, but we're, for... we're
1: just gonna mask what you know and you know send you out into the world with just like a hypnotized. But if someone says like ding dong, like you're done. But I just like the updates that they've done, like how they're embracing his disability, but they're using it as a strength as well. So he's he's much more clever than Tom in the book. He's much more. He's got a lot more humor than Tom in the book.
0: If I recall, the hypnosis might have been part. Of masking him from flag, but I think you're gonna be able to get away with rationalizing why he'd be masked from flag without it.
2: Yeah, I really liked that. I, I did not mind at all about it. Uh, like I said, I'm coming into all this with very open mind and embracing the the little changes that I might see because I then at that point, I'm just looking to see how they connect the dots to the story that I do know is coming up. And I thought that was a really cool way. They did emphasize that. Um, and oh my gosh, Tom is such a likable person. He's such a lovable character. And and like I said, I can't help it. Even if I know what's coming up, like I can't help but like feel so stressed for Tom I like <laughs> I struggled getting through the book through, you know, once they started kind of introducing this, um, you know, this side um, journey, it was incredibly stressful for me. I think they captured that really well here. He's a very lovable character. Dana clearly cares a lot about him because she saw him and, and was you know want, trying to help him to kind of get out too while, while she realized that that uh, her time was limited. I, I don't mind at all that they didn't follow the hypnosis line.
0: Let's move over to Boulder and start out with Flag's minion over there, Nadine. Yeah. Yeah, Nadine. Yeah. Oh, Nadine.
2: Yeah. Oh, Nadine.
0: <laughs> She's at a potential crossroads in her little universe here. She's being given, I think, a beat to decide where she wants to go from here because, yes, she killed Teddy. That's his first name, right? They kept using mm-hmm. his last name, but they, she killed Y-Zack, Teddy. yeah. And that's bad. I, I, I'm not going to take that away from her. But given the scope of what she could do, she could still come back, essentially, if she makes the right call. I think that's what her story is this week, is does she want to? Can she? Is there a way out of this whole thing with Randall? Do you think that she is trapped as she's fated, basically, to be Mrs. Flagg? Or, <laughs> or or do you think what she's trying to do this week, like with Larry or with Abigail's message or anything like that, do you think that, that could actually work?
1: She's getting more forceful. She's, she's exploring, I think, what she wants, but I don't see a way out for her. Like, Joe, for me, is the only redemption or the only redeeming part. About her right now, the fact that she's caring for him, I feel like she's on a path, and I think as much as she might want to hop off this train, I think it's headed straight for Flag. <laughs> you know, th- yeah. I just don't see her. You know, we learned that she was twelve. I know you and I were going back and forth at how old she was because that was one of the the major updates Inez from the book was that they had her in college in the book, finding out about her betrothal to Flag. Whereas in this adaptation, she was twelve, and when she found out that she was going to be Flag's queen, so we were like, "Well, this has more time for her personality to shape around it." So I think, given the update of twelve years old versus nineteen, that Nadine is uh, is a lost soul or Mrs. Flag. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I agree. I agree, and, and I had uh, I think that I, I struggled with trying to remember you know my understanding of nadine's character when i from my memory of reading the book i felt like this cinematic version of her felt i think forceful is a good word she was definitely very ambitious of her agenda like she was no compromise from the moment that we see her talking with flag in her dreams or through that game there's no guessing in her interactions with him it seems very solid like okay what do you want me to do how can i i need you to kill somebody okay how do i do that how am i going to kill them and then she was very forceful on harold in pushing her agenda need on him as using him as a tool and modality of achieving her goal for this man that she knows that she is his queen and to answer your question think you asked earlier if we think that he does that with everybody i did think that before because we saw him twice tell people that he wants so and so to be his his right hand person right he said that to lloyd and then he said that to nick and so i can see how we can think maybe he's convincing other women to do that too but i feel like especially because they bring it her a lot younger into this and and i think that when you're in college your brain is accepting and open-minded of all kinds of like new experiences but it's also very technical and by having her being introduced to the possessiveness of flag when she's a child and so that and that is a critical age of kind of finding yourself your understanding your purpose and all of that i, I think that it made it make more sense why she could so easily just follow him and his will hmm. um, on her journey versus if it had just kind of happened with everybody else during the pandemic like they all started getting the dreams of abigail and flag when the pandemic was started but she's been having these interactions with him since she was a child i feel like that makes it more believable and understanding why she's so connected with him and that would be a harder bond to break than uh you know with her like you know decisions of whether to be good or bad right now i do think like once she killed ted like that was the that was really like that was really kind of like the end of, of of it because her behavior still was not like super great. I I wasn't totally convinced in the scene between Nadine and Larry um yeah. that uh you know that she really begging him to take this one thing from her so that she could be free from Flag because I know that she's scheming with Harold and so it kind of could be because I know that flag can get in people's head. I kind of could, it kind of came off to me, like maybe flag tipped her off that she needed to go intercept with Larry to try to undo this like scheme or something. And Obviously, I know what like the real kind of circumstances of it was that she really, truly is meant to be begging him. And I didn't get a sense of that in there. Stephen was actually more forgiving. So Stephen's my husband and he's a huge fan, but uh, he was more for he, he felt like she did, you know, that she truly was begging Larry. To me, it kind of felt like it could go either way. She could be intercepting to give Harold a a chance um, here to fulfill their plan or she, you know, she could genuinely be torn between the two um, decisions.
0: I think I see it close to Stephen's uh, idea in that I thought that for just one second of, irrationality um, because, I mean, she's already caught in kind of an irrational situation, but she was trying to apply, I think she was trying to apply this idea that if she were deflowered (laughs) by by Larry, then she would be uninteresting and unable to fulfill this queen role for flag and that Caroline's giving me a frown after the. <laughs> <Deep blowered. laughs> so sick. I'm perfect. You know, like. But you yeah. see where I'm going. You see where yeah. I'm going with that. Do you think there's anything to that? Or do you think it was just like she's totally trapped? And this was like clinging to um, a life vest and not or maybe like how drowning people will try to climb up a person, (laughs) but they will end up pushing them down in the water. Right. Kind of that same idea.
1: I kind of think that she's just so desperate at this point that I feel like this was her last attempt to make a break. And I think that she thought that having sex with Larry would somehow break Randall's hold on her. But knowing that, knowing what we know about Randall, I don't think it's possible. And I think deep down she knows it's not possible either. Like how dejected and how unhinged she looked just plodding down the steps after Larry was like, you need to go. Like, this isn't happening. And he was so noble about it. I was like, way to go, Larry. Yeah. But just how there was a couple of moments this episode that I was just like, there's no way she could go through with this because he's got a hold on her. That's she. what she's supposed to be like 37 years old. This is like a 25 year hold on on her. Like this is not gonna go away anytime soon, and I I was laughing because I was thought about it after we we did the the episode where we talked about Nadine and and seeing this at at, at twelve we thought she was like nine or ten, because I was like I don't know many virgins in college. <laughs> Like I don't many know many like nineteen and twenty year old virgins by the time like I got to college, so um, I was laughing that that was like an update that I was like maybe that's intentional.
0: Well, you did go to Catholic <laughs> school. Did. Right?
1: I did go to Catholic school. Dad, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope my mother doesn't listen. <laughs>
2: i know like that that it was genuine like i already know that that she it was supposed to be a genuine thing i just think that from the scene itself i didn't feel like it was fully clear particularly to audiences who have not read the book i don't know if it's really fully clear that she was genuinely begging him the book was a lot bigger of an explosive kind of interaction um here it just was just like i want you to fuck me And then, you know, he's like, you don't talk like that. And so at that point, it's like, "Okay, well, is this like the Randall influence? Because we know he can take over, stuff. Like, if if I didn't know the book, this is kind of the way that the message read to me. And so that, to me, was a little bit shortcoming. But Stephen, being a huge fan, he still really loved it. So I might just be (laughs) overcritical.
0: Further scenes with Nadine included the one with Abigail. Where I think I think we've basically already covered where we think uh, Nadine's going to go, regardless of any metaphorical messages that Abigail can deliver. But there was a moment there when they were looking at the piano from the inside, and they were showing little hammers do their thing, and you could hear this kind of ring, this kind of I don't know a, a sound effect. Am I forgetting something from the book that revolved around piano wire or is there something I need to be worried about with piano wire coming up? Because that was a lot of focus on piano wire for a second. Did you guys read that?
2: I did notice that we spent a good amount of time just looking inside the piano and I was had the same thoughts Paul I was kind of was <laughs> thinking like what if I what did I miss <laughs> did, what, like did I miss something like what's the significant of this and then I told I wrote it down I was just like <laughs> google this <laughs> about pianos <laughs> in the stand to see if I missed something and I haven't gone to it yet but I'll let you know if I find anything. All right.
1: So I didn't remember anything particularly telling about pianos from the book but the takeaway for me with the piano was what Mother Abigail was saying that you you know, she likes to leave the top of the piano opening so the kids can see like the inner workings. for me this was abigail basically looking into nadine and knowing that she is not on the side of right and she tried to say you know i see how you are with joe and you're so good with him to me this was like a signal that you know mother abigail is like i know you're up to no good oh, she, child she, and she's I...
0: totally in on it yeah.
1: yeah so i think it was just a way for nadine to have a moment to to opt to repent because you know we've talked about the heavily Christian themes of this book, that this was her opportunity to atone for what she's done or will be fated to do, and it was just another opportunity for Nadine to sort of make the right decision. And just the side eye that she gave Abigail in that scene, I was just like, "Oof, let's give you me a little look shiver."
0: She's looking Abigail like that. Who are you trying to kid?
1: Yeah, and then just you know, the fact yeah, that Abigail's she was so mad, she was so mad that Joe was at Abigail's house. Just.
0: Yeah, she flung that door open. Flung How,
1: that door open, yeah.
0: How'd she get by, uh, what's her name, Ray? The... Ray,
1: yeah. Ray must have been, you know, on a potty break or something. <laughs> or something. <laughs> also, Nadine's timing of throwing herself at Larry at the exact moment that Larry had to be uh, doing something else very important for the Boulder Free Zone yes. uh, was just suspect timing.
0: <laughs> it was what did you uh, think? convenient, that's for yeah. sure. Uh, I was like, is
1: she desperate or just (laughs) well-timed?
0: Well, that's the part of that tension element that we were talking about earlier. Um, Just timing things like that together. And even the way that the the scene, I mean, we can kind of speed through the idea that Franny has asked Larry to uh, go in and check in on Harold's place while they have Harold over for dinner. What I found really interesting about all that was, of course, the tension because Nadine has shortened the amount of time that Larry has to do that with that little stunt. But then the way that it was cross cut back and forth, where you have all different kinds of dark and light metaphorical imagery juxtaposing each other, but all for like the same kind of ends. You know, they're all, they're both trying to snoop on each other, but you have a, a black guy in a, in a, in a darkened house. And he comes across like the, um, the chessboard with both, you know, black and white guys Mm -hmm. on the chessboard. And then you have the white guy sneaking around the lit up house and he leaves behind Mm -hmm. the black and white spy Panda. And the way it was cut back and forth, it just kind of resonated with me. It's like, I'm watching something pretty cool right here. The way that it's put together.
1: I agree. It was excellent.
0: How did it strike you guys?
1: I was gripping my my armchair on my sofa. I was like, "What is what is going on here?" And just just how they built the tension, and I was just like, "Like he's gonna get found out." No, I just really enjoyed how it culminated the tension of the episode. Like all the stuff with Dana had already happened, and it was just like, "Oh God!" Like that's why I said like early on when we were talking about this earlier that there was no let up in the tension mm-hmm. in this episode, and it ended with just even more tension. So the setup for episode six is just like, we are in, we're in the trough right now. (laughs) Like we are in the doldrums of, you know, things are not looking good and they're looking worse. Like if they thought they were looking bad before, things are looking worse now. But I really like your, your comment though about like the dark and the light. The the other thing that really worked for me too with this scene was that when uh, Larry walks into the bathroom and finds the picture of Tom Cruise smiling on his bathroom uh, mirror. Mm, Yeah. This to me was a a very nice homage to the book where there was a lot of time spent on Harold smiling and how it was creeping the fuck out of people. So I I liked that they were able to basically take 50 pages (laughs) and condense it down (laughs) into a Tom Cruise smile. All this with Harold. Like for me, this was Harold's episode. Harold and Dana, really.
2: Oh, Harold is creepy as fuck like thi- <laughs> this uh, this episode I had lots of notes <laughs> on Harold and you know so I don't know are we ready to transition to talk about Harold because he's yes, yes. I gotta unpack on this dude here like you know, <laughs> just you know like I, I, I felt I did feel for him at one point um, you know I felt like he had a really genuine sadness about what happened with his best friend Teddy despite like it was part of the fit plans that he was that he was included with and it sounded and it even looked at some point that he possibly could just like step away from all of this because you know he was talking to nadine like i like why did you have to kill him i think you you could you let me do it i could have been able to do it and i feel like he genuinely was feeling the that loss and then i was like team heralds for like a split second but then fucking franny comes up and then it's like he just forgets like all of this like horrible things that just happened that that he knows he's keeping up a lie about about what happened to his best friend and then he's like lost his best friend and then he sees Fran and then he's like awkward and then like says inappropriate kind of comments like I guess he had his reasons and then just like shoves his arms up and it's like what like like why (laughs) and you know then he's at the dinner and his same kind of reply to the same kind of thing when they're saying I'm sorry about what happened to Teddy he's like you know now you found yourself so suddenly a man down and then like smirks and laughs or chuckles right after and it's like god what the fuck harold
0: Awkward, like I... <laughs>
2: <laughs> like i was on your team for a second how did you do that
0: <laughs> the smiling there were a couple moments particularly what was it um franny turns around and he's on the stairs or something like that and oh he, he
1: like sneaks up on her
0: and he, and he turns on that smile that's you know like about two notches too big um (laughs) (laughs) he's
1: had a very grinchy quality to his smile
0: right there was something about the way that the camera kept looking at his um shiny leather shoes that probably has nothing to do with anything but they just reminded me of like a policeman's dress shoes or, or something that was like not something you'd wear normally
1: yeah, like, he's too young to be wearing shoes that formal.
0: Did you notice that, Inez? Like-
1: mm-hmm. I've
2: actually wrote a note that I've noticed that they do a lot of shots on shoes in general. One of the things I got excited back was when we first see kind of Randall Flags, like his boots with the jeans and the, the fold-up. Like, that just kind of get me all excited and giddy about, like, you know, the setup and everything is just, like, really great. And so I, I made a note. I was like, there's something up with shoes here. Like, I see everybody's shoes. I noticed I made connections, like flag were similar shoes to when they gave me nadine shot of her shoes and she was also had the boots with the jeans and things pulled and i am pretty sure i'm just grasping at stuff at this point but <laughs> i just like to find like little like symbolic nuggets like that and so yeah i didn't i think the shoes probably like what with sheila you're saying right it's kind of like notating like the kind of like tone and character that you expect to wear the shoes and then they keep that's being tied to heralds that you know, who's like this really creepy person and it's kind of this clash of who he wants to be and who he thinks that he is and, and the level of respect that he thinks that he's entitled to. I
1: think that's it. I yeah. think it's the, the amount of respect that he's entitled to. I. That's a really good point
2: you know, he's volunteering out, you know, calling out and participating in the town halls and wanting people to look at him. And, and he keeps throwing in Fran's face about how he saved her life, you know, and, and that you know, she should be, like, you know, more on his side on things. So, yeah, I, I I'm definitely feel really dirty for, like, the brief moment that I was, like, <laughs> um, sympathetic for him, but he's totally fucked that up now.
0: It's like those those kind of shoes and the and the suit that he wears to the to the town hall that is all the kind of stuff you would do if you were had the fake it till you make it mindset if being a quote unquote man was your was your goal you know without having just sort of like a TV sense of what a man looks like well, men get dressed up for town hall meetings and they wear these policemen's shoes or whatever and it's just sort of his. The way his mind works is screwed up, and, and, and that's obvious in every little decision that he makes. We get to see them all because we're watching TV, but he's hiding it from everybody else. Hopefully someone's going to notice this guy is a complete phony at some well, point.
1: like I think the fake it till you make it point, too, is he's trying to fake being normal.
0: Ah, and that's the bigger thing, isn't
1: that it? That is it. And Franny is really tuned in to this change in him. She just keeps staring at him and she's looking at like when he stood up at the town hall meeting the last time out. And he's making this grandiose statement about, you know, accepting the, the ad hoc committee in toto. Uh, <laughs> she's just looking at him and she's just like, what the fuck? She is seeing some definite changes in him. And that was actually some of the, the the notes that I took and the questions that I was grappling with is that I feel like Harold is losing his grip on being normal. And I feel like Teddy was like his last his Christ. last hinge.
0: Yeah, that's right. On that on normality, the right. yeah.
1: And now that he's gone, I feel like 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 the conventions of humanity are just slipping away from him.
2: I think that that's a really great. Perspective. I actually had a different take on it. I felt like obviously it's always going to be changes in people, and no matter the circumstance. So he's obviously going through changes as he's transitioning into finding his place in this new world, Uh, and he's bringing along the baggage that he's picked up along the way. You know, like the previous episode that the the what's his name Garvey, the 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 guy who was uh, you know attacking them, Right. right? Yeah, he you know he kept talking about Harold like he's a beta man and then when we see him like in episode one you know being introduced in this dynamic with Fran like she like you know she hears his voice and she's like uh, you know, like you could just she was she because i felt like she knows him and she knows like the like she she's had she was his babysitter and so she knows this the kind of infatuation that she has and his eagerness to kind of keep proving himself all the time and i feel like she was looking at him like oh uh, like gosh harold like he keeps just trying to incept himself and in stuff um what you know and whatnot so my perspective was that so it's very interesting now kind of reframing my perspective on this scene in, in the way that you've kind of put it Sheila I kind of put it I was just, just thinking like Francis like this is just kind of like typical Harold kind of stuff and then we're not and then at some point she stops learning about um Harold's new development so I think that's why she is tuned in this and noticing that he's kind of recently changing in here but I, I kind of been riding along that this is kind of just him and how he he tries to show that he is uh, value added to the team but it's not in like the best way it's in the most kind of like condescending arrogant kind of way
0: like the scene at dinner where he decides to embarrass her by making up a story and having her agree with that she was there and he was there and all that kind of stuff and then say nope you weren't there i made it up ha 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 Yeah, all that stuff, that seems to play into what you guys are talking about then. And Stu and Fran, rather than being like, fuck, get out of here. What are you talking about? Making up stories and making her feel bad? Whatever, get out of here. They're just like, ha ha ha, let's talk about something else. I guess so. I, there's an, a, I think that's probably a, a big element of hanging around with Harold is doing that.
2: Oh, friend had her own mission going. So that was probably the only reason that she didn't kick him out. Because I feel like she is like she's already put him in his place several times in this season. You know, unapologetically, like she's more. I think that she's definitely has shown us that she's capable of that. And so he just picks up that she's just being really overly nice, that's not normal kind of behavior. And she's got this alternative agenda of trying to keep him there, right? So that Larry could could fulfill her suspicions that she's got. Hmm.
0: Unfortunately, it would seem that Harold is possibly as smart as he thinks he is with regard to the way that he's treating these people in that he had his home wired for cameras. He's got the spy panda. This is tying back to that so first creepy. episode with his knot in the in the fence post, right? Spe- mm-hmm. Specifically for, for <laughs> spying on, on Fran. <laughs> Fran or maybe Fran's mom as she gardens. Uh, <laughs> we'll never know what the full extent of the hole's purpose. Uh, we just know what we saw. That was one update, I think. I don't recall there being a network of spy cameras anyway in in the book. Do you guys...
2: Yeah, I don't remember. I I mean, I feel like the book probably had like details about like little kinds of tricks that he set up to kind of tell if somebody entered or exited his house or, you know, move stuff around or whatnot. But I don't think it was nearly as sophisticated uh, in the book as they're kind of showing here. And oh, my God, I was so tense with disgust seeing this spy camera content from the panda camera like yeah. oh my yeah. god like what the fuck harold like like it's just straight up on their bed like what were you expecting like what what kind of stuff are you thinking they have a whole house they have a whole house <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and you think that the only place that they're going to talk about stuff and their own private home is going to be in the bedroom pointing at their bed like Oh, my God. That's so
1: disgusting. I mean, well, Harold is meant to be, what, like 16 or 17 years old. So I'm sure there's some unfulfilled teenage fantasies there.
0: Well, this ain't going to fulfill it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just gross.
1: But it's also just, I feel like, more fuel for his hatred of Stu.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about Stu for just a second. This episode more than... Others so far have outlined what Stu's flaw is, is, and it's it's not a bad flaw when you're not in the apocalypse, but um, <laughs> when you are and you are in charge of a community, always seeing the best in someone may not be a, a very valuable trait.
1: This frustrated me, Paul, this part yeah. with, with Stu, is that he's so reluctant to see... That Harold is is up to no good that there's there's some some specific changes in him he tells franny you know that she shouldn't dismiss her feelings about harold but at the same time he he glosses over it in the next breath and he's also failing to make the connection of what larry brought to him saying you know that it's just odd that one of their watchmen turns up dead after this man comes from new vegas and warns that the devil is coming it just, it frustrated me about Stu. It's like, come on, Stu. Like you've seen enough in your life to know that you should be a little bit more circumspect, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if my girl...
1: Your <laughs> gal friend.
0: Right, who has known this individual basically his whole life says something's off. And then this man who I've probably come to respect for his talents in dealing with people above any of the other things that make him cool, like guitar playing or singing or whatever... Um, his ability to talk to people, know people, exceeds mine, and I'm and I'm not bad as Stu if those two people come to me and say something's not adding up, I, I think it's time to do the math.
2: Stu definitely is um, using old world diplomacy in um, new world perspective. And it's definitely, you know, like, like Sheila said, he's been through enough, like just go surviving this pandemic and, and seeing people in common dreams and knowing that there's a whole community of people who all had the same dreams. There's a whole other level of stuff that, that you haven't gone through before. So you I agree that there's, like, you can't just use old world rules like courtesy kind of rules or even like lawful rules of like determining to apply to this like oh everybody's innocent to proven guilty or which just because I saw the one person have the gun and and shoot themselves in the chest that one time like now all of a sudden suicides that are by shot directly in the chest by random individuals like he was in the military like I feel like he could have seen you know why that leader that general or whatever he was Starkey in the first episode. Episodes. He's been in the military, so like he probably could understand why Starkey like chose to. To suicide himself the way that he did, you know, wearing his blues and then trying to make sure that he's got like the things he cares about. He's all like put together. But this is not a, a Starky character. Teddy is not Starky. Teddy is, you he, know, he's effervescent, he's bubbly, he's got a lot of personality, a lot of good, kind of goofy energy about him. He just doesn't strike me as the type that would be sophisticated enough to just like let me choose to shoot myself in the chest while looking out. And then we just all like, oh yeah, we're just gonna accept that he's suicided. Himself. It just doesn't that part didn't match. And so I can definitely see the frustration of listening to Stu kind of like process that. I was definitely with Larry on that.
0: Yeah, it's like we all gotta go through this um catching up process w- with Stu, where he figures out where he was is not the same as where he is, even though he really wants it to be in terms of the way people. Are going to act. We've been talking about Maslow's, Maslow's hierarchy of needs this whole time and how it applies to our characters and motivating their decisions. And even though they've got it pretty good in Boulder, they're still not as high up on the pyramid as, as I think he wants to think. So people are going to make different decisions based on that level of need that he's not used to.
2: Fran did not include him in her plan for Larry to go check out Harold's place, right? Like she, she like panicked, took that walkie-talkie, and to to take care of the message. But Stu was like completely oblivious to it. And and I did kind of have like a little issue with here, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe we can talk about that for a little bit. We, they made a point to having this big scene with fran and Stu, where she like reveals to him that she's pregnant right and she makes a point to say that she hasn't told anybody except for her dad and then they make a point being like and now you and that that's kind of like how they have this bond and i thought that they formulated the bond really well in the story that she finally was able to release her emotions and not be so strong all the time because she is like been carrying herself in this in this post-apocalyptic you know, environment, pregnant and alone. And she let herself be really vulnerable and she shared that with him. And so it felt like they were the team. And then for her to like, now that they're kind of established, they live together and she's not going to include Stu in a conversation about like, we should look more into Larry. I mean, I'm sorry, into Harold. And what do you think about this plan? It just, it, that feels a little bit off to me, but I don't know if that's just me being picky.
0: Well, we've been trying to sort out what the skill set is that she brings to the five. You know, we've got a pretty clear idea what Stu brings, just sort of that G.I. Joe sort of ability to to follow what this person does. Glenn has his in-depth knowledge of how societies and governments work, what they need in order to work. Nick brings sort of the spiritual connection to Abigail and a, and a sort of common sense that, just by na- by the nature of his disability forces him to take what he wants and what he what he knows to be right and condense it down to like two or three words because that's all he will be able to convey in the group effectively anyway that's a very important skill larry has the the talking And the personability that exceeds anybody else's on the team, but we haven't quite figured out what she does. And maybe what we're getting around to saying is is that she does bring this, I'm not going to call it devious, but it is more like a, a mind that thinks around corners, in a way that the men's don't.
1: Like a risk analysis.
0: That's another way to say it.
1: (laughs) That's a good point, Paul, that, you know, because she sussed out Dana as the spy and she had good reasons for it. Dana's a motivated (laughs) self-starter. Right? So maybe she's good in summing up personalities. Maybe she's got this ability to sort of see people for who they are and what their
0: strengths are. And what their Impacts could be yeah. in a way that the others don't.
2: You know, and she's carrying the future. I don't think that we know of any other pregnant women in the community. And at this point, not really sure, like if the procreation is working the way that, it, you know, life was before the pandemic. So I think that there's that added need to keep her as a high priority amongst them to ensure her survival. I mean, Glenn went out of his way to paint her because she was showing up enough in the dreams and in the the, the stories from um, Abigail. So that physical, biological state on but I do like what you're saying, Sheila. Um, I, I agree with you. She is very good at observing and processing and analyzing and then making the the kind of the right pairing of resource with the need. So <laughs> she could be an
1: operations manager. Absolutely. I was going to say logistics is going to be her specialty. <laughs> we, we know that Stephen King rewrote the ending. I'm now getting massively curious to know where this is headed because harold's character in particular i'm so unsatisfied or dissatisfied with with how his character's journey like the journey it took so i'm just curious to know i guess like i guess where the ending is is headed up because now now i feel like the gloves are off and so many things are up in the air that i'm just like oh uh, i'm getting very unsettled as we, we go into the back the back nine right <laughs>
0: Everything's going to start to unravel. I mean, as, as book readers, we kind of know what's going to happen to an extent. I'm not going to spoil any of that on the podcast no, no, no. because, as we said from the beginning, unlike some of the people that we've been running to that have, that have been running into that have been watching this show, I'm ecstatic to find the the little differences that they're going to make, so that I do get surprised in watching this show. I don't know if you feel the same way, Inez, but Sheila and I have been like, we're cool. We're as long as the. Changes make sense and stick with the spirit of the story. We understand the process of adaptation.
2: Absolutely, I'm to- I'm down for it. I-, I don't mind seeing different variations of the journey, and this is a very good one.
0: The the bit with Abigail coming up though is pretty much what i remember from the book i don't i don't remember the wolf imagery that much but i do remember her taking off
1: yeah i remember her take off. i don't remember that there was a specific image of a wolf i just thought it was interesting that Stu saw the same wolf
0: Stu saw the same wolf this might be my failing synapses again but i <laughs> i i think flag can take the form of a wolf is that am i making that up
1: I don't think so. I think he can. Like, I don't think you're making it up. I think he can. (laughs) Let me clarify that. No, he (laughs)
0: can't. (laughs) <laughs> I
2: mean I definitely got the impression that the wolf was symbolic of flags yeah. constant attempts of like infiltrating her her connection and power uh, you know that that blocks him from the rest of the people in that community so I I did kind of get a sense that that he was symbolic of that and and I guess I totally can accept that that could actually be him in that particular like interaction in her mind or in her dreams I definitely remember being really like stressed out about her disappearance <laughs> in the book, and and I still feeling that same stress here. You know, I you know she just seems so critical, and then it just felt like it was just really shocking that all of a sudden like she's disappeared um, after she's we see her praying relentlessly, trying to get that connection back. You know, with God. Then all of a sudden she's gone, and it captured that same stress. I had the
1: same stress as I did reading the book um, as as they had in here, Mother Abigail. Is in despair. Like that's, that's the feeling that I get. Like we you were saying like this tension and just, you know, feeling this way, I was like, this is, she's in despair. Yeah,
2: despair, exhausted, I imagine too. Um, I wonder how like physically draining her connecting with all of these people in this dream space is on her. On top of her already being an aging elderly woman with the stress of the communities of good and evil. It's not just like a, nothing is, set right like this is not a guaranteed utopia and safe haven for everybody that's in Boulder, in Boulder Colorado she's you know talking almost desperately about this war that's coming and you know that was the first kind of instance that you see her have this really negative exchange with Nick and her disappointment about their decision to carry out this spy plan, and and I could tell I felt like it weighed very heavily on her. So maybe like just the weight of it all is kind of what's contributing to her feeling. You know why Flag could sense her power draining. You know from this this community.
0: It's interesting. I just I just thought like. You know, she told Nick that you were supposed to be my voice, but she didn't exactly indicate to him that that meant that he had no voice, (laughs) you know? (laughs) There's still
1: free will, right?
0: Yeah. And that was sort of the the rough spot he was in, was trying to do both things. And he ultimately decided to go with his gut uh, in terms of thinking what was best for the community. And in some ways, Abigail's role has been to bring everybody together. But beyond that, what else is it going to be? She's handed over the leadership to the five, and she just wants to be kind of on call as, you know, uh, someone to come talk to Ferrari guys when they show up. But that's about it. She doesn't really want to govern or she lead. She wants to be a
1: spiritual consultant. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> right. Uh, the local medium or something.
1: Like a monarch. She wants to be like a ceremonial head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. The admiral of the, of the Navy. But. For Boulder, Colorado,
1: (laughs) for the the one percenters who are left.
0: (laughs) Exactly. It's
1: funny how one percent has such a different meaning today's world versus their
0: world. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, in the stand in the book, I don't recall her saying it in this, but she's supposed to be the oldest woman in the world. You know, when the when the population is whittled down to nothing it seems to me everybody gets to be the somethingest of the world right right Right. (laughs) oldest sure you can be no one can verify that you're not so sure why not all right i think after 95 minutes of chatting wow (laughs) that i think completes our coverage for the fifth episode unless uh, either of you have something that you'd like to add
2: you know the only thing that I would like to add, and I don't know if it's in particularly this specific episode, but one because I just ran through all five of them in the last two days, I want to just take a moment to appreciate a lot of like the little Easter eggs that they put on in the episodes. I, I really enjoyed in uh, the last episode where we see, you know, when we see Nick and Tom come up on the uh, bus bench and uh, they're trying to, you know, talking about like they don't they're leaving Julie, escaping Julie, and then. And then we see the advertisement, and you see Stephen King's face uh, as one of like the the seniors is part yeah. of the advertisement. i have really enjoying like finding they they have a lot of these little cool symbolic nuggets like all, that I've noticed all throughout. I think. I don't know if it was this episode or last one, Larry had the little earring um, that was of a moon and they were just talking, like it was in a scene where they're like letting Tom go and he's like, oh, M-O-O-N and I like your earring and just like little stuff like that. I just wanted to, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge and appreciate the writers and, and uh, you know, everybody on that team for like coming up with this. So I, I look forward to those things and I go out of my way to watch these episodes second times around normally whenever they have those kinds of things just kind of like a like kind of like a where's waldo kind of hunt or like those <laughs> i spy books I, I really
1: am enjoying those and i just have to make an editorial change uh last week i said that uh harold was leaving baby roots around the country and that's what larry was finding it's paydays. paydays so i am correcting my error for the purists out there my intent was pure. My remembering of detail was <laughs> Your not. Your candy
0: bar was wrong.
1: My candy bar was wrong.
0: <laughs> yes. All right. Well, well, we can forgive you. I didn't catch it. I I, 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 only remember. I only remember that there was some variety of food trash he was leaving behind. Yes, yeah, so it was
1: like the chocolate varietal. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, it was payday. So I, I, it was uh, almost like as soon as we stopped recording, I was like, "Damn it, Sheila, it's payday, the baby Ruth.
0: <laughs> I Gotta watch the whole thing over again.
1: <laughs> well, I don't think they even showed that. Like in,
2: I don't, I don't think I remember seeing like the candy bars themselves because they obviously took a different angle with Harold, um, which I'm sure you guys covered in the previous episode. He's not, he's not an overweight um, man. Um, he's this very like skinny, lean tall, lean, kind of goofy-looking guy. And so I, I remember feeling, I felt like that scene where Larry presents him with the gift of a bag full of something. And it I felt like... was candy bars. Yeah, that's where I got right. it from.
1: And then this, so I was like, oh, baby roots. I'm like, no, it's baby
2: Right. Right. But I don't remember even, like, seeing, like, the details in the show of what that was. And I kind of felt like if they had gone and got out of their way to sh- tell this story about, you know, Larry and this specific candy, then I maybe I could appreciate this, like, this gift you know with this um genuine gesture, yeah. gesture that larry was trying to give to him but it kind of just felt like short to me it just kind of felt short like oh i you know i really was thinking about you and it's the opportunity to kind of be this like clever kind of like tie-in but we didn't they didn't tell us the story in the show about matching Harold with the candy and larry following the candy wrappers um so i feel like it almost could have been like just taken out if they weren't going to like put it
1: in right. you know, with it the full context. Mark, right. yeah. yeah, I feel like that's one of those like nuggets for the book readers. Right. Uh, I just feel like that's like a little like homage to the book like with the smiling thing this episode. that That's where I think it, it kind of inlaid because I think anyone who just is sitting down to this for the first time would be like maybe miss it as a detail. I felt like
2: when you set up a story of like I just this made me think about you this kind of gift is the only gift that made sense. Like you have to give the context around what that means and I don't think I f- don't think that they did that, but I could be wrong. And I'm definitely happy to hear from people that like did catch that. Um, or, or, you know, even if I, you know, you guys think about it later and you did catch it. Cause I might've missed it. Like I said, cause I was sprinting through all of these seasons to get a chance to chat with you guys. But I, I was kind of off put by the gesture because it just felt like we're, you're giving only a piece of something. And even if I didn't read the book, like I want to know what's in there. That is so important that you had to make me watch you do this. Mm-hmm. um and uh you know they could have just been any gift and presented as any gift but because it was like like hidden and given to it but then you don't even show me <laughs> like it, that was a little bit off-putting to me but it's not enough to deter me from the
0: show that's good because there are people that are nitpicking about this and that and ignoring the the entire effort put, being put into the show and Condense the story, keep certain details, move past other details. I remember, I think I remember that when you read the book, Inez, that uh, you and I had a conversation about loathing the kid, and um, and I had mentioned that to Sheila that I hope the kid is entirely skipped, and she oh con- my God. She confirmed that uh, although Marilyn Manson was at one point cast as the kid, uh, he's out and so was oh the god. character
1: <laughs> oh my god i'm we were
2: just having a conversation about that before we started uh my husband was like do you think they're gonna have you know such and such i'm not gonna name them via the name sound just in case that they don't show up but um oh my god i was i honestly was cringy like worried about it but i it it does if it's not going to happen now that having that context i have now more like excited curiosity (laughs) because i barely
1: survived (laughs) reading through those chapters come on happy (laughs) crappy
2: oh my god you don't tell me i'll
1: tell you yeah when paul when you said that you know like you were hoping that they'd skip over the kid I, i had like pushed him so far out of my my memory because i just uh he just had this ick factor for me so yeah so I'm, I'm just glad that that came to fruition. That he's he's gone. big ick. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's good
0: to skip some rapey yeah. details.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Ooh. All right. Well, this has been a great episode. Um, hopefully, we didn't scare Inez off.
2: This is a lot of fun. Thank you all for Yay. inviting me.
0: Terrific. Then uh, we'll plan to do it again next week if everyone is game.
1: Woohoo! I'm in. So- sounds good. Count me in.
0: All right. Well, this has been Paul's Pod Clubhouse.
1: This has been Sheila. And this is Ines. And if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts before we leave you here to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast or wherever you listen, five stars are greatly appreciated. It definitely helps other people who are like-minded find this show and have enjoyment as much as you do for it. So thanks for that.
0: Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast
1: network dedicated to encouraging collaboration, among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at PodClubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.